Amen. Hello, church. Hello, church online as well. Let's give it up for everybody with us on church online this weekend. We're so glad that you're here. God is good. Amen. And this has been a, a fun series, and, and I pray it's been a series that has blessed you, and we've been learning from and growing together as we're preparing for Easter, which is two weeks away, two weeks away from tomorrow. Two weekends away, we're going to be celebrating the greatest thing, Jesus going to the cross, dying for us, and defeating death and raising, rising again. Amen? And we're going to be celebrating that. And in this whole series, we're doing this to prepare our hearts, because we never want this just to become ritual, so to say, Easter. It's what we literally celebrate, the whole thing we base our faith on, of Jesus dying and rising from the dead. We don't want that to become ritual. Every year we should want, God, give me a fresh new revelation of Jesus. Amen? Give me a fresh new revelation of Jesus. And we've taken this series to spend time to look at areas in our life where we could prepare. Amen? Where we could prepare and say, God, whatever work needs to be done in my heart, do this. Create in me a clean heart. Make a straight path. Amen? And this series, Prepare the Way. Prepare the way of the Lord. And we're preparing our hearts again, like I said, for a fresh new revelation and appreciation for all that Jesus did and accomplished for us at the cross. And I want to start off this weekend with the scripture that we've been using every weekend. It's our main scripture for this series. And it's in Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Isaiah. And it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The prophet is saying here, and, and I mean, we could just sum it up this, he's saying, get ourselves in order. Get your life in order because he's saying, get your life in order. Why? Because God is wanting to come to us in a fresh new way to bring us a fresh new revelation of who he is. And right here he's saying, make the way straight. Make the path straight. And going all the way back to the first week of this series, we talked about how in this time, if a king came to visit a place, they would make sure that the road that the king was coming on was paved was straight. If there was potholes, they're going to fix it. But if there was bumps, they were going to get rid of it. Why? They wanted a smooth ride for the king. And we know, hey, listen, we can get saved, but then we still have a life to live, right? And throughout that time, potholes can form in our hearts. There could be bumps. And this series is, God, create in me a clean heart. Whatever needs to be ironed out, ironed out. Whatever needs to, obstacles need to be removed, remove them so I have a straight path for Jesus to do a work in me. Amen? Amen. Every place, and it's true, listen, Every place that we are deficient. And listen, can I be honest with you? We're not perfect. You're not perfect. Right? You know, I said this one week. I said, it. you know, if you tell somebody that, if you meet somebody that says they never sinned, you could tell them they're a liar in love. And then you could tell them they sinned because they just lied. We are not perfect, but every place that we are deficient, God wants to fill. He wants to help us. Everything that is taking a higher priority than him in our lives and him, he wants to knock down because we could do that sometimes. We could start valuing things of the world. We talked about last week to make sure we're not valuing things of the world more than God. We need to love what God loves, hate what God hates. And we could fall into that sometimes without realizing it, but God wants to knock that down. Every part of our life that has gotten off track, he wants to straighten out. Every frustration, he wants to be the one to smooth out. But here's the thing. We need to let him. 
We need to say, because God is a God of love. He's given us free will. We need to say, God, do that work in me, Lord. Do that work in me. And we've been preparing our hearts in this series, setting our hearts straight. And again, this whole series, Prepare the Way of the Lord, is to cover every area of our life, or certain areas. I mean, if we did every area of our life, this would be probably a 52-week, they'd probably be longer than 52 weeks, because we need God in every area of our life. But we're looking at some main areas where we, God, we need, because we need God in every area of our life. God doesn't want, you know, just this area, that area, but God, I'm going to hold this area to myself. No, He wants to become one with us in every area of our life, because He knows what's best. And I want to look at the scripture in Hebrews chapter t- 2, verse 1. And I want you to keep in mind, this scripture here, this is written to Christians. And it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And look at the Passion Translation. It says, This is why it is so crucial that we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truth that we have heard, so that we do not drift off course. See, this is important because, you know, Jesus is great. The Word of God is, is the best thing there is. The Word of God is our roadmap. And we must be careful that we don't drift away from what He has spoken. And, you know, I, I love the Bible. I love Scripture. And I love when I read it and I think, okay, He's speaking to Christians here. And, you know, God just doesn't say anything by accident. It says all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when God says we need to make careful that we don't drift away, well, what does that mean? God knows that there's a possibility we could drift away from his word. He knows there's going to be things fighting for our attention. And he says we need to be careful lest we drift away. We could know the truth of God's word. And we could know the truth. And that is great. We need to know what God's word says. But we also need to put God's word into action. Because if it's just knowledge, and then we start forgetting that knowledge, and we never put it into action, we will start drifting away. And can I be honest? This actually applies to everybody applies to if you're a christian applies to all of us but we can't think oh well i've been a christian now for five years or ten years you know sometimes we might be more at risk of drifting away when we've been a christian for five years ten years twenty years because we can start becoming comfortable and we don't want to become comfortable amen god has something for us no matter how old you are no matter how long you've been a christian he has something for you he has a new truth in his word he wants to reveal to you that's the great thing about the Bible. You know, there's great books out there, regular books. And, and, you know, maybe if you do a reread on a book, you might find something new. But probably by the fifth time you read it, you're not going to want to read it anymore, and you're probably going to know everything. The great thing about the Word of God is you could be reading it for 50 years, and you will get still fresh new revelation in His Word. Amen? And we need to make sure we don't drift off course. And to drift infers a lack of direction without purpose, with no particular aim. And we need to visit the areas in our life where maybe we've gotten off course to make sure that we're not drifting because that's dangerous. You know, I think of just one area. I remember a few years ago in my life, and this was, I didn't even notice it, to be honest. And it's going to kind of sound a little interesting because I drifted away, but yet I was still doing, anyway, I'll just tell you, okay? So it was a few years ago, and I remember there was a time a few years ago, and it was like a, it was probably like a month or two span. I think like a two month span, and I was just had no peace. I mean, I was stressed out, but I can be stressed regularly. I need to really focus on God's word because stress is something that comes for us, right? But when I go to God's word, I know His word is true. But anyway, I just have no peace, and I was like, "What is going on?" 
I was like, why don't I have peace? And, and even my wife, it was a few years ago, sensed something different from me. She's like, you're kind of like being a little short. She's like, you're, you normally don't really get angry. She's like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. I have no peace. And she literally said to me, she said, are you, are you reading your Bible? Because I'm, I'm not just saying this. Look, I'm pretty like every morning at a certain time, I'm in the Word. And I was like, yes, I am doing, nothing has changed. I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. She's like, I don't know. Then I realized, without realizing it, for like a month, two months, in the mornings, when I was reading my Bible, see, that's my personal time with God. And then what normally I would do, and this time I was in youth ministry, and when it would come to doing a message or whatever, and I was studying for a message, I would do that during the day, at night, whatever it may be. But I didn't realize it. So in the morning, I was every time I was reading the Bible, anything I would come across, I was like, oh, that would be really good for a message. Oh, that would be really good for youth. Oh, that would be really good. That would be really good. That would be really good. To where... I wasn't looking at anything of like, God, I need your word to fill me up, and what do I need to change? And I didn't even realize what I was doing. And in that, by doing that, I was actually so empty because I wasn't letting God fill me up with his word. Every time I was opening his word, I was looking at what can I get for a message. And I didn't realize that, and I came to that revelation. I remember I came to that revelation, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And then, like, I remember I spent the next two months. I was reading. I wouldn't even have a notebook with me, so I couldn't even write anything down. I said, God, just let me be with you and your word because I've drifted away for you letting your word, me opening myself up to do a work in my life. So we need to see every area of our life. God, where area have I went off track? Which area have I drifted away? Maybe I've gotten off course, but Lord, come with me. Bring me back on track. Amen. So this weekend, we're going to focus on an extremely important topic, and that is get your finances in order. Get your finances in order. You don't hear a lot of amens for that. But let me tell you, this is important. And I'm excited to preach on this because, listen, you know, honestly, it's just something with Christian, anybody, right? You start talking about finances, it's not people's favorite message. But can I be honest with you? It should be our favorite message. We should want to know what God's word says on finances because God has equipped us. And can I tell you something? If I asked everybody in here interviewed no at least 75 percent of the things what stresses you out the most it would be finances probably what causes a lot of arguments in marriage finances how do i know i'm married <laughs> finances cause stress finances cause lack of sleep finances cause heartache but god in his word has instructed us on finances and he wants to let, well, we need to let him in that area of our life because he wants to guide us in that area of our life. He wants to do a work in that area of our life. And that is one way how we prepare our heart is to get our finances in order. Why? Because like I just said, if you have finances on your mind, if you're stressed about finances, it's going to affect not just that area, it's going to affect almost every area of your life. Because if you don't have peace, you won't be able to focus on things that God may be speaking to you. Because you'll, your mind will be always on that. So get your finances in order. And you know, one reason we need to get our finances in order, and sometimes we don't like, people don't like when we talk about finances, is because the enemy will try to get into our mind, and we'll start to think that, well, whatever we have, whatever we possess, it belongs to us. The, own mon the money that we have, we've earned in our strength, and, and then we could do with it however we want and whatever we want. But I want to look at script, some scriptures here. I want to start off in Deuteronomy 8, chapter 11 and 18. 
And it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of the house of bondage. See, he's talking here now. He's telling these people, God delivered them from Egypt, and they're forgetting. They're forgetting the amazing things that God did for them. It says, Who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which where fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hands have gained me this wealth. He's it's saying here, God did so much things for the Israelites. He delivered them out of Egypt. He gave them water. He parted the Red Sea for them to cross. When they needed food, he provided manna each and every day for them to fill them. And yet, they could still forget what he did. And then when it comes to the areas, think they've done it in their own strength. You know, that still happens to people, to us today, if we're going to be honest, right? And I, that's what I love about the Word of God, because, you know, we think now, well, you know, I talk to people and they're like, well, people are crazy nowadays. People have been crazy since sin came into the world. You notice that? Like, nothing's new. People like people are crazy. Yes, people are crazy. Yeah, people forget God. It's happened since sin came into the world. And this is written to people then. They were doing the same thing that we could do now, forgetting what God has done. And then verse 18, it says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. We are warned, just as they were warned, we are warned to never forget where our finances come from and the purpose that they have. You know, whenever I talk about giving, if I'm hosting, I always say we need to remember everything that we have, it's from God. And when we have that mindset, it changes everything because it's not, God, I'm giving to you what I've earned in my own strength. No, God, I'm giving to you what is already yours. It changes your, it just, your mindset. Most importantly, it changes your heart. We need to know God is the source. He gives us the strength. He gives us the wisdom, the, our talents, our giftings to do the jobs we need to do. For what purpose? that there would be proof that he brought us into covenant with himself. See, we could see in Scripture God's desire is for him to be honored for all that we have. For him to acknowledge, for us to acknowledge, God, everything I have is from you. And it shouldn't become come so much as a surprise to us because you can see throughout Scripture too, our relationship with God, it involves provision and him supplying our needs. Right? Most of us in here, we need God, I need you to supply my need daily. God, you are my provider. He's provided everything. That's a huge part of our relationship with God. Amen? You know, in the garden, we go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Even before sin came in, when God created everything, God provided for every need that man and woman would need. Before they were even created. You know, there's a Bible teacher, Andrew Womack. He's a great Bible teacher. And, I, and he said this. And go back in Genesis. Start in chapter 1 and start reading creation. And you'll see it too. 
you know, if you read create the story of creation, God didn't wait for Adam to say, I'm hungry. Adam's the first person he created. He didn't wait for Adam to say, I'm hungry, to create food. No, God created the garden, and then he put man in it. You notice that? He didn't create Adam, and then Adam's just walking around one day, and he's like, all of a sudden, I have this feeling in my stomach, God. I'm kind of hungry. Okay, let me create something. No, he created the garden, then he created Adam. Everything Adam needed was already there. He already supplied everything that he needed. He supplied before the need is there, and we could see that that is the nature of God. He is a provider. He is a provider. We see in the wilderness, which we read about that short recap in Deuteronomy about telling them not to forget, with the Israelites, God provided supernaturally to the Israelites as they were going through the desert every day. He provided manna to them. Every single day they went out and got fresh manna to supply their need for what they needed that day for food. Every day. Every day. You know, David, King David, he went from being a shepherd to his father's sheep. If you know the story of David, to being one of the wealthiest men in the history, and it was in history, and it wasn't by himself, it was because of the hand of God on his life. See, David became king. God gave him victory after victory over his enemies. And that, with that came all of his enemies' wealth. And then God, he gave him success in mining gold from a place called Ophir. It's an ancient, legendary gold mine. And God, God caused other wealthy kings and nobles to bless David with gifts of massive wealth. But here's the thing. It all came from God's hand. And if you read the story of David and you look at David's life and you studied his life, David knew that. David knew this is because of God. And I want to look at something because we think, well, what did David do with all his wealth? David had a lot of wealth. And this is going to be really awesome to see in Scripture because when you read David, you read about the stuff he has, gold, silver, and you try to add it up. And I want to look at it. It says 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14. It says, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. David saying, 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure. For it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. See, David was building the temple. He wanted to build the temple of God. And his son Solomon ended up completing it. But David, he wanted to build the temple of God. So David's giving all of this to build the temple of God. And there's a Bible commentator, and he added this up. And he said, for what David gave, what David said in that scripture, that he gave the gold, the silver. He said, assuming that a modern gold price of 1,450 U.S. per troy ounce, David would have donated $158.63 billion worth of gold. And then $18 billion in silver. David had wealth. He didn't lack. And, I mean, if you look at David, too, after he gave, it doesn't say that he had nothing. He gave what would be equal to billions of dollars today to build God's temple. And then even after that, a few, a few chapters later, even after he's already given all that, he even gives more. He adds even more talents of gold and silver. And it's really cool because that's in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And David starts even as giving more, even more above and beyond. And then others started following in David's lead, and they started giving to the building of the temple. And I love it because in First um, Chronicles 29, 3 and 4, it says that they gave willingly and joyfully, and they all rejoiced. Well, how do you give willingly and joyfully to know 
Everything that you have, it comes from God. And most importantly, you are partnering with God. Amen. You are partnering with God. David's son Solomon, he finished the temple. His son Solomon built the temple, and everyone knew. And when they looked at this temple, where the wealth came from, the temple was a memorial to David's honor for God. And we could say that David's wealth that he had was marked for God. David's wealth was attached to God's purpose. And we need to ask our question, ourselves the question, is ours? Are we attaching our wealth to God's purpose? Are we letting... Are we marking our wealth for God? And some of you may be thinking, well, Pastor Matt, that sounds great, but I don't have $18 billion of gold. I don't have, I mean, not even $158 billion of gold. And I don't have $18 billion of silver. You know, it's not about the amount. It's about, it's about the heart. It's about are you partnering with God in finances? Are you attaching your finances to God? Are you saying, God, you're in control in this area of my life? I mean, go to the New Testament. Jesus, he sees the woman put in very little, what people would say very little in the natural to the offering. He says she is put in great because he saw her heart. Are we attaching our wealth to God's purpose? See, something I've noticed in my life is there's something that is important about attaching what we have to God and his purpose. Because when we attach it to God, what we're saying is God, I am partnering with you, I'm relying on you, and I'm trusting in you. When we don't, when we do it ourselves, we're saying, God, I'm doing this in my own strength. And that might get you a little bit, a little bit, but I'm telling you, I've been there. It's going to come also with stress. It's going to come with worry. It's going to come with fear. It's going to come, why? Because when trouble comes, who are you relying on? Yourself. When times that look daunting come, who are you relying on? Yourself. But when we completely surrender, especially finances to God, when something starts looking like, we say, God, you're in control in this, God. I've partnered with you. God, I'm trusting in you. And there's a peace in that because we know he's our provider. We know he's the one that supplies our need. But when we rely only on self, well, when you get stressed, you shouldn't be surprised because you're relying on yourself. You're relying on yourself. You're relying on your own wisdom. And you know, our own wisdom without attaching it to God will only go so far. It will only go so far. See, God, we see all throughout the Bible, God has always made it a practice to mark what belongs to Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Now He who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us, had anointed us as God who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What it's saying there, and it says in Galatians as well, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've received Him as your Lord and Savior, it says in the Word of God, God's Spirit comes and seals you. You are marked. You're sealed with the Spirit of God. And the Passion Translation for that verse, I love it. It says, now it is God Himself who has anointed us, and he is constantly strengthening both you and us in union with Christ. He knows we are his since he has also stamped his seal of love over our hearts and has given us the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring is given to a bride, a down payment of the blessings to come. 
The Holy Spirit is God's seal on his people. It's his seal on his people. It's his claim to us as his very own. The Greek word translated seal can mean a pledge. That is, part of the purchase or money of the property that is it's given in advance as a security for the rest. It identifies ownership. We are marked by God when we give our life to Jesus. We are his own. It's a down payment for our, our heavenly inheritance. Because we're going to, you know, one day, hopefully many, many, many years from now, for all of us, we're going to, you know, until, until Jesus comes back, we'll take our last breath or Jesus will come back and we're going to be in heaven with God. We're going to be there for eternity. Long time. The Holy Spirit is our inheritance until that comes. It's our, it's our, it's our down payment of our heavenly in inheritance. And no one can break that seal of God in the spirit realm. Because, see, we don't just live in a natural realm. There is a spirit realm. And in the spirit realm, we are marked as his. God has always marked what belongs to him. And that's in the New Testament. And that's when we see Jesus. But even in the Old Testament, God always, he had a plan to mark what was his. If you go into Genesis, God made a sign of covenant of, this, of circumcision. He marked. He had to mark what was his. He always had his people marked. So people would know that they are of God. Amen. And in a very much the same way, our finances are designed to carry a mark. A mark that identifies that we are in covenant with God, that we have partnered with him in this area of our life. Amen. I want to look at Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. It says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Tithe, that word tithe, because we, you know, we say that sometimes in, in the giving. We say you know, our tithes and offerings. And people, they might not know what that word means. And it's an old English word for one-tenth. He's saying the first tenth, the first ten percent, that is a, is a biblical tithe. And you know, I want to look at Malachi now. Sorry, you ever have something pop in your head? It's good. It's good. We're going to hear it in like a minute, two minutes. I just want to read this scripture first. And then Malachi, we see, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. One translation says, test me now in this. It says, test me now. This is the only scripture that God says to, for us to test him. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. We see from God's word. He says, bring all the tithes to the storehouse. He's going to pour out blessing. And then verse 11, he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed. All the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi, it lays out two principles. One, when we're tithing, bringing our first 10%, he's going to supply our need. He's going to bless us. He's going to open up the gates of heaven. And then it also says, see, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now he's talking about there the fruit of the ground and vines and stuff. But what he's saying there could be translated now into our time now. Is God will also protect your investments. If you have investments, he will protect your investments. So we know we're following the principles, principle of God. And you could say, well, it could be hard. Yes. Listen, some weeks, it might be hard. 
But see, when we surrender that area to God, see, because if we just go by, and we, and we talked about this, if we go by our emotions, we'll be up and down, up and down, up and down. But God's word is true. So no matter what it looks, God, when I know you're, I'm following your principle, Lord, you're going to supply all of my need. Lord, if I have any investments, no matter what people are forecasting for the stock market or forecasting for this, Lord, you're going to protect my investments. And there is actually a peace that comes with that. There is a peace that comes with that. Why? We're letting go of control. We're letting go of control, and we're giving God control. And you know, something to think about is this. We have a human instinct in us, most of us, all of us, it's a human instinct, you see it, to want to control things. Right? Has anybody here, a situation comes, and you want to be the one to take control of that situation, right? It's a natural thing. It's a natural thing. Unless it was like, for me, if it was like math class, a math project, I was giving up control. You guys, group project, you figure it out. No, we want to control, you know, and I, I, could, I have to watch myself because I could do this with things at home, you know, like my wife wants to set up certain things, and then I mentioned last week I don't like change, so I want to try to control it because I know change is going to freak me out. And that never good. It's never good when you try to control things, especially with your wife. It's never good. <laughs> but here's the thing. We have an instinct to want to control, but if we just keep controlling and controlling and controlling and controlling and controlling this area, controlling that area, you know what's going to happen? You're going to lose your mind. Because you're putting all the pressure on you. You're putting it all on you. All on you to figure it out. You know, this came to my mind. Something that happened, and this is, you know, it's just a story just to show, but when my wife and I first got our house last year, I, you know, I've mentioned this, if you were here last weekend, like 75% of the stuff we got on Facebook Marketplace. My wife was just like a hawk on that thing. I was picking up things. I was driving down to different towns. Chris, who works here, I mean, he was, I was like, I need you to bring me like an hour away. You have a pickup truck. I don't know. I'm going to pick up a cat. Anyway, it was crazy. But the things we didn't buy, we bought on Ikea. And if you've ever bought from Ikea before, well, Ikea is a great place. Good prices, nice things. The thing, problem is it comes in like 1,000 pieces. Okay? And you have to put it together. And we got a dresser. And I came and my wife said, oh, I'll help you with it. I said, no, I got it. She said, you need the instructions? I said, no, it's simple. I said, I got, and I started getting mad because, guys, you know, and your wife's like, no, you're going to need the or let me do it. And you start getting, like, defensive. Like, am I not man enough to put a dresser together? You know, you just, anyway. So she said, she did, you know, the, the smart thing on her, and she left the room and just left me there. <laughs> and, and like an hour went by, and I was in the same place <laughs> that I was at, and I didn't want to go in there and tell her I, I needed help. Or I needed the directions, because actually I said to her, I said, you could take the directions. You could take the directions with you, because I'm not going to even need them. And she did. <laughs> and I was trying to control. And just that little thing, I remember got, I got so frustrated. I was getting so frustrated, and I had to say, I need help with this. I need the directions, and I probably need your help with this, because I'm really not good at putting anything together, if I'm going to be honest. What I'm saying is, I'm, and it's funny, but when we keep taking control of everything, it's going to bring stress. It's going to bring stress. So see, when we see this scripture, and we think, well, week to week I'll decide how much I'm going to give. Week to week I'll decide if I'm going to tie, depending on how the week looks. Well, when we're trying to control that, we're going to get stressed out. We give God, no, no matter what, God, I'm following your principles and your word. I'm giving you control over this. There is a peace when you release control. There's a peace that comes with that. 
See, God promises he will protect our finances when they are marked for him. See, we could say, God, bless my finances. God, protect my finances. But we have to do our part and join with him in that and partner with him and mark our finances for him. The tithe principle, it's a matter of honor. It's a matter of obedience and it indicates ownership that, God, I am not the owner of my finances. You are. You are. And let me tell you something. When we surrender that area to God, it, is a, it makes it a lot easier to surrender other areas to God because that is one of the hardest areas for all of us to surrender to God, if we're going to be honest. Now, I want to look at Proverbs chapter 3. It says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Honor the Lord when we bring our tithes, the first fruits of our labor, the 10%, our income, whatever it may be. He marks it as his and God assumes responsibility for it to increase it, to increase it and protect it. See, Israel was rebuked for allowing this important principle to fall by the wayside. Again, going back to what I said, the thing I love about Scripture is, we, you know, this is an area where we could all struggle with today, but it's in the Bible because also he knew God knew we would be going through it today, but they were also struggling with it back then, that God had to write it to them. No, we need to honor God with our finances. God says, get your finances in order, he says to Israel. He says, get your possessions in order. Get your possessions in order because God knows sometimes that if we don't surrender our possessions to him, our possessions can end up having us. When we don't surrender our possessions to him, our possessions will end up having us. You know, and you even think, you can even think all the way back, well, going forward, I'm sorry, because, you know, the book of Malachi, see, it's very interesting because the book of Malachi, that's the last Bible before the gospel, the one where God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. It's the last book in the Bible before the gospel. The next book of the Bible is Matthew. And it starts, Matthew starts with the genealogy of Abraham to Jesus and then the birth of Jesus. And God, what did he want? He's telling them in Malachi, just, and this was a while before Jesus coming, because he wanted them to get ready for what was happening next. He didn't want their possessions to have them, and he knew that the Messiah would be coming. See, God knows if we're not careful, our possessions can have us. And we see that in the New Testament. We see that with the rich young ruler. With Jesus, he says, what can I do to return salvation? Jesus tells him, follow me. Jesus says, go sell everything you had. And he says, he says, Master, my possessions are great. And he walked away from Jesus because his possessions had him. His possessions had him. So as I'm finishing this up, my questions for you is this. And all of us, myself too. Do our finances carry God's mark? Are we preparing for the way of the Lord by getting our finances in order? Do they belong exclusively to us, or do we let God's mark be on our finances? Do our finances honor God? Does our money have a purpose, or is it aimless? Does our money have a purpose? God wants our money to have a purpose. He wants to bless you so you can be a blessing to others. He wants, God wants to be able to get something to you and not just to get something to you, but to get something to you and have it flow through you. Because when it flows through you, God keeps providing to you, through you, to you, through you. He wants us to be a vessel. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we drifting 
in this area, all of us. And this is something to keep us just kind of my drifting in this area because maybe you're drifting in this area and you realize this is why I've been stressed because I've been drifting in this area of finances and I've been trusting myself, relying on my wisdom and my strength. And God, I need to mark my finances with you, Lord. I need to let you put your mark on my finances. Surrender this area to you, Lord. Just like any area of our life, we should want our money to declare, God, I belong to you. I honor you. You are my provider. I honor you and trust in you because I know that you are my provider. You know, Jesus, in the Bible, Jesus knows that we would have worries and concerns. Jesus knows. He knows for some of us, maybe all of us, there's weeks where we think, how can I give? I have needs. I have bills. I have to, how can I give? Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 31 to 33. He says, therefore, do not, buy, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He's saying, relax. God knows what you need. He knows the things you need. And then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I remember a few years ago, I, was, I remember I was stressed with finances and I took this scripture and you know, something I've just learned is when, when stressful times come, that doesn't mean they're not there. They could be very, very real. But even in those times, we ourselves have the choice of, well, what am I going to focus on in this moment? Am I going to focus on what looks like the lack or what looks like might not come through? Or am I going to focus on God and his word? And I'd keep going to this scripture and it brought me so much comfort. I would walk around my house and go, God, you said, seek first your kingdom and everything will be added to me. And I love verse 32. I would say, God, you said that you know all the things that I need. You know all the things that I need. I don't really even need to list them out. You know all the things that I need. So if I follow verse 33 and I'm going to seek first you, your kingdom, your ways, your principles, everything that I need will be added to me, Lord. And it would just bring me peace because, Lord, you know what I need. Father, you know what I need. I'm thinking about it. If you have children and they have something in need, you want to provide it, right? It's a natural thing. You want to, you want to provide it. If they need a need for something, you want to provide it. Imagine if we have that, how good our Father in Heaven is. How good our Father in Heaven is. See, God knows it could be easy for us to get preoccupied with material things. And you know, God doesn't say that having things are bad. Because some people think that I got to have nothing. No, He doesn't say anything's bad. God doesn't want things to have us, though. There's a difference. He doesn't want something to have you. He doesn't want you just to always be preoccupied with material things because our ambition should be to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and knowing that as we do so, he's pledged himself with a covenant faithfulness to respond. All these things will be added to us. Prepare the way of the Lord. One area as we're, as we're getting close to Easter is to get our finances in order. Surrender that area to God. And I'm telling you, you will start to begin to see what God does on your behalf. And you will see a peace. And the reason, you know, we're doing finances is because we want a fresh new revelation of Jesus. And like I said, if finances are always on your mind and stress, it is hard to think about anything else. It just is. Because finances um, involve almost every area of our life, our daily living. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Pave the way for him. Get rid of the fear. Get, get rid of the doubt. Whatever. Pave the way for him to take ownership over your finances, and he will go to work on your behalf. You will see him supply your need. You will be blessed so you can be a blessing to others. And there will be, most importantly, a peace that comes over your life, knowing that God is faithful to supply your need. Amen. Why don't we all stand up? So we're wrapping up this message. The first thing I want to do is this, and then I'm going to just pray for all of us in here that we would surrender this area of finances to God. But before that, if you're here today or if you're watching online and you have not given your life to Jesus, surrendered your life, that's the first step. That's when we read you are sealed with the Spirit of God. He puts his mark on you. That no matter what, if you took your last breath, you would be with God the Father in heaven for eternity. And Paul lays it out. He says, if you believe Jesus is God's son, if you believe that, if you believe he died for you and you believe that he rose again, if you believe he paid that price, says, if you believe that, you pray that, you confess that, says you are saved. You are marked as a child of God. So why don't we all pray that prayer together? Let's all bow our heads and shut our eyes. We're going to pray this together. Know that if you're praying this for the first time, you become a child of God. You go literally from spiritual death to spiritual life. You are marked with the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with God's Spirit. So why don't we all pray this? Father, I believe that you sent Jesus to go to the cross for my sins. To die for my sins. And I believe he rose again. So Father, this day, I repent of my sins. I acknowledge that I need a Savior. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I surrender my life to you. And I'm going to follow you all of my days. Thank you for sealing me with your Spirit. And making me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You can give it up to people that prayed that prayer. And listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, and we're dismissed in just a minute, please don't leave. Come up here. Tell one of our prayer workers, I prayed that salvation prayer, because this is certainly not the end of your journey. It is the beginning. Amen? And I just want to pray for all of us for this area of finances, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true and your word is powerful, Father. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you tell us in your word when we partner with you in this area of our finances, Lord, that, Father, you respond in faithfulness. You respond in supplying our needs. So, Father, I pray for all of us that, Father, if we have trouble in this area, if we've been struggling, Father, that, Father, we would step out in faith, Lord, in our giving and our surrendering our finances to you and letting you mark us Father, mark our finances, Lord, that we would be willing and we would be obedient to hear your Spirit, Father, to hear your Holy Spirit, Father, as you instruct us, Father, to bless somebody, whatever it may be, Father, because when we seek first your kingdom, says you supply our need, you add everything that we need, Father. So I thank you, Lord God. I thank you for your peace when we surrender this area of our life to you. And I pray for those, Father, that step out and surrender this area of their life to you, Father, they would experience your peace and they would see your blessing, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Amen. 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 God is good. Listen, if you need prayer for anything else, we would love to pray with you. If not, God bless you. We'll see you next week. And don't forget to go and grab your Easter tickets. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.